So I think if there's one thing we can say about this podcast, it's morality is hard. <laughs> Talk about murder. Let's talk about lying. You're a liar. I'm so glad Brett wasn't here. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Like Chasing Wind. I'm your co-host Joe Adams Philly, and I'm joined here today with St. James the Lesser, author of It's Not a Sin When I Do It. All right, so we're leading off that way. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Jimmy. So, Joe, this is our first podcast that we've recorded since launching the podcast. That's right, and our listeners may not know this. So we actually pre-recorded all the previous episodes before the launch of our pilot episode, Single and Ready to Christian Mingle. This is our first time getting back together, pulling out the microphone, and getting back into it since the podcast has gone yeah. live. And it's been almost a year, actually, since Single Ray Christian Mingle was, was recorded. I believe you're correct, because at that time in my life, I was not yet married. Yeah, and it was probably about a month away from it, and we're about a month away from your, we're less than a month away from your anniversary. Oh my goodness, that's a lot to think about. But before we get into that, what what's changed in your life? So, let's see, I have begun a new position at my workplace, I have also begun grad school. I decided to take a brief pause for my anthropological study into singleness, and after that sabbatical period, I decided to re-enter. Which that, we, we all think is a better choice it's, it's, for you it, at, yes, this at this point. Yeah. It's been better. Yeah. And that re-entry into singleness was consummated by being run over by a confused elderly Chinese woman's car, uh, <laughs> which was <laughs> quite the experience. <laughs> I think it's just God giving you medical experience, like first-hand <laughs> victim experience, just so you have a better idea. Yeah. And other thing, what else? That's those are those are the main ones. Uh, yeah, interesting. What about uh, you, Joseph? I have a new job. I now work for Microsoft in a part-time fashion. I am married, which means my nights, weekends, and free time are now managed by someone else. Uh, I have a bedtime again, which I haven't had since I was a child. <laughs> um, I am told to do more chores now than when I lived with my mother. Well, you also. You know, your mother did those chores for you. Right. So this has been an adjustment. You know, I, I got a wife that, you know, I cook. Yeah. I have to cook now. Hashtag That's, feminism. Hashtag feminism. That's a thing. Um, I was terrible at cleaning before I got married. That hasn't changed. So <laughs> we're, we're adapting to that. But overall... Uh, married is really great. I would recommend married to all of you that are not married. And that's not just because misery loves company, but because genuinely <laughs> I do believe married, uh, for me anyway, was the better choice. Uh, no children at this point. Uh, we are purposefully not having children at this point. We do plan to eventually, uh, but I'm, and I'll probably announce that to the, on the podcast first. Oh, so boy. as an incentive to listen, I will be announcing to the world first on the podcast. So Joe's mom, when you're listening to this, know that, know, know that <laughs> there's a reason how you find out, know that there's a reason to keep listening, even if that's just to see when I'm going to have kids. We should let the podcast listeners decide on the name of your baby. I would be fine with opening a voting process, but no matter what, I only get to name half the child. <laughs> Do you get the first name? I don't think I get the first name. No, oh, I think man. all my first names have been shot down. I've suggested things like, could we name it Xavier? Oh, gosh. 
could we have some foreign names, you know, like some Swedish or Nordic names, you know, something. I think something, I support Laura in this decision. Something that's got like a Gaelic root or something <laughs> like that. You know, just interesting names. I'm tired of like Mike and Bob. That's, you know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Lee. It's just like there's too many generic American names. Let's go for even Liam. I think because Liam Neeson's too popular now. <laughs> like Neeson's. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not, yeah, like I'm not naming my kid Liam You're now. basically setting him up for an awesome voice though. I am, yeah, I definitely would, and no one would ever try to steal his daughters. Like that's that's definitely the Your case. Granddaughters will be safe forever. But yeah, do you want to actually get into the podcast topic itself? So liars, cheats, and thieves. A little bit. Let's get into that. So what launched our interest into this? There's something in philosophy, classically called the trolley problem. Have you heard of it? A little bit, but break it down for me. Okay. So the trolley problem sets up. There's multiple variants on it. You are a train switch operator, mm-hmm. all right? On the track, there is five people standing on one train track, silly, and, and completely unaware of their surroundings. and All on their smartphone. All on their smartphone, not looking at it. Then on an additional track, there is one person, all right? Mm-hmm. A trolley is coming towards the track that has five people on it. It cannot slow down in time, and the five people are all too oblivious. They will be obliterated by this trolley. So they've got their Beats headphones on so tight that there's no way they're going to They're not going to notice. They're They're not going to notice. They're just on their phone watching YouTube. They're gone. Yes. You are standing at the switch operation of this track. You can switch the track that the trolley is going on and save the five people. But in doing so, you will doom the one person who is on that track. Hmm. So this is a classic ethical challenge in philosophy, and how do we approach it? Right, because there's multiple things. I could say I could do nothing and let reality take its course. And am I culpable for the action there? Am I am I responsible for doing nothing? Is doing nothing actually taking action? Yeah. I could do something and either actively switch it, or I guess that's really the only do something action. Yeah. And then someone dies. Is their death my fault? Is their death circumstantial? There's a lot to unpack in that. Yeah. And there's other variants on it, like the person on the track, it's it's only the tra- the trolley's heading to the one person, and there's five people who are oblivious and, and not going to get hit, but the one person on the track is your son. Mm. So so then what do you do? Then what do you do? Now, these are stressful situations to think about. Yeah. So let me ask you then, have you thought about, do you have a resolved idea of what you think you would do in the classic trolley situation? So I would say... This is a lazy answer. I would do nothing because I would not be able to assess the situation quick enough to actually realize that I'm in this type of ethical problem. Mm-hmm. Or if I were in that situation and I acted, it would be because I did not realize the implications of that action. Right. I, there's The problem with the trolley problem is that you're putting yourself in a situation where you have to logically think through where you will not have the time to logically think through. Right. So. Uh, have you ever heard of a... YouTube channel called Vsauce. I have, but I don't follow them at the moment. Okay, so there's this guy named Michael Stevens, and he is the creator of Vsauce. They're on a YouTube channel that's part of the YouTube Red Package, which is the paid YouTube. So he does a lot of free videos, but then he's got a private series part of his paid videos. Mm -hmm. In the second season of his uh, YouTube series, he goes into a set of experiments that he tries on live, real humans. He simulates a train switch station mm-hmm. and has uh, pe- have he has people come in 
who they think they're meeting a real train switch operator. Yeah. The train switch operator shows them how if they flip a switch, he can divert a train from one track to another. Mm. He then becomes preoccupied and has to leave. Yeah. They are still sitting in the room when the trolley scenario literally gets played out. So they see video footage of five guys on one track and one guy on another. Yeah. And they get to a point where, and they, they did this all with Hollywood effects. Like, they actually recorded a train going down one track. Yeah. They recorded a train going down the other track. They record people. So it's all very Photoshopped, and if you will, yeah. how they're done, how it's done. But there's nothing that ever tells the people that this is a simulation until it's over. Yeah. So they're sitting there in this room actually playing out what they think is a real-life trolley situation yeah some people open the door they yell for help some people freeze some people don't know what to do some people literally don't think they have the authority to flip the switch yeah uh one guy ended up crying afterwards because there's just this the trauma of going through an event like that yeah is a little scary let me kind of flip the table for a second and ask you this do you think it's unethical of what michael stevens did to put humans through that type of a test yes entirely uh the grad school class I'm in right now is research and every, I can't imagine that ever being approved by an institutional research board. And yet they Uh, actually had a real psychologist come on board during that exercise and then talk to the people afterwards. I, yeah, you should have some type of de-stress counseling, but it doesn't make it okay. Right. Like, (laughs) right. I don't think, I think it's okay to talk about the trolley situation in a, Hey, let's get together, have coffee and see who you'd kill. Yeah. But in reality to actually subject humans through that, I think in, it's in a way a form of cruelty to even put someone in that situation. Yeah. Because let's uh, let's break it down a little bit. Do you have the authority to switch that train? I mean, unless you're a skilled train operator and you understand... In this that, situation, you are. All right. Yeah. So in this situation, you are. Do you still have the moral authority to decide who lives and who dies? I mean, there are going to be situations that you do. What immediately comes to mind for me is mass casualty situation as mm-hmm. a nurse uh they'll actually tag people like if you're out in the field and there's some kind of mass casualty scenario they were more or less will tag bodies of this person is definitely going to die when there's not we don't have enough resources to treat this person without leaving everyone else like to die um then there's one this one needs help right away because he's going to die without intervention but he will but he needs quick intervention. Then there's this person is seriously injured, but won't die within the next 15 minutes. So get to him next. And then there's this person's got some minor bumps and scrapes. Let's treat them when we can. Um, so there's a level in which you prioritize as many successful results as you yeah. can in the time you're allotted. Yeah. So from a maximum matter- amount of good for the maximum amount of people, it's utilitarianism. So the medical professional in this case would be advised to pull the lever. In some ways, yes. Um, the other thing to consider is, I guess from a medical standpoint, like if they survive the initial impact of the trolley, one person's a lot easier to treat than five. So from a casualty perspective, it might be easier to save the life of one than it is the life of five. Yeah. So one guy loses his legs versus five people getting mm-hmm. disembodied, yeah. for lack of a better term so there are there are some practical reasons to pull the lever yeah this even gets into things like uh artificial intelligence and i've not hit you with this one yet they're talking they're really want to have self-driving tractor trailer sometime soon horrible idea well yes but one of the things they've talked about 
tractor trailers are our all of our cars are starting to have collision avoidance systems built into them mm -hmm. so how do you program a tractor trailer to if someone else is going to crash into it does it break really hard does it swerve away or does it allow the impact to happen because the self the driverless car will have no humans in it but it will have a large amount of monetary value mm -hmm. so if it's got some little uh mini coupe running at it and the mini coupe comes at it everyone in that mini coupe is going to die but if it goes if it boils itself over to the red it it's going to destroy all its cargo right and then you even have it to the point where the system gets so advanced that it can tell who's in what car. Is it an elderly couple to the right and a young family of four on the left? Does it go over to the right and kill the old people? And so here's the interesting thing. So um, I was going through a conversation like this. If if a, a self-driving AI car is driving down the road and two groups of people suddenly merge into the road, and one of mm -hmm. them is a class of school children and the other one is elderly people on a day trip, yeah. which one does it take? Or does it sacrifice itself if it can at all? One of the interesting things was I heard someone speaking about AI, artificial intelligence, say AI cannot create a thought or a mm -hmm. series of thoughts in which the parameters cannot be currently defined by humans yeah. because humans inevitably design AI. So yeah. for the computer to make this type of choice, someone else has to someone, make it. Someone else has to make it. And people think, oh, artificial intelligence, that means we're making intelligence. No, really all AI is is a predictive series of yes, results, no yes, no questions. And people think that's simplifying it. No, it's really not. AI is just a distributed series of computers, it's all, all zeros and ones, all asking yes, no questions that are calculating averages on those yes, no questions based on pools of data. Yeah. So realistically, it's it can all be boiled down to kill the kids or kill the old people. And the computer will have to make that choice. Yeah. Uh, the scary thing is it'll be engineers and developers and sci data scientists who design the software and hardware that make those choices. Yeah. So if we don't solve the trolley problem as humans now, the car is not going to have enough parameters to even judge who is the more morally acceptable target. And then there's the other dangerous thing. Well, if the insurance companies are governing the AI... It's going to be the actuarial science. It's going to be the actuarial sciences data. Who is less likely to cause the most financial yeah. damage in this accident, which is god awful scary yes all this to say we haven't even thought about what are the christian implications of all this is yeah. there a moral obligation as a christian in the trolley situation to pull the lever or do nothing yeah so how do we want to think through this i think you can are but the most people will try and say well if you can save five lives at the cost of one that sounds like a good outcome right but are you really saving five? Are you really saving five lives at the cost of one? Or are you killing one to save five? All of whom are innocent in this situation. Right. Because everyone's innocent. You By you taking action, does that then impart upon you partial guilt? Yeah. Because had you not pulled that lever, that one guy wouldn't have died. The other thing comes down to who's in control of the situation. Do we believe that God's sovereign desires well again sovereign will versus permissive will god will you know we can yeah we can have that discussion what god wants to happen versus what god allows to happen versus what god doesn't want to happen uh, there's a there's a lot down there so then yeah. how do we look at it from that perspective because people always tell me they have to interject themselves to do something why what if god wanted these things to happen for reasons that we don't understand that don't make any sense to us because we didn't design this system 
Well, I don't think we should take a fatalistic approach to it. Mm-hmm. That ju- God, well, this is happening, so God doesn't want me to do anything about it. So I'm just not going to do anything. I think that's a very dangerous interpretation of God's sovereignty that mm-hmm. could just very easily push us into passivity when we shouldn't be. I think we are moral actors and have a right to take moral actions. Um, the question is just what is the correct one? So do we go full Mr. Spock? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? I, I really hesitate towards that. I don't think the Bible pushes itself towards a utilitarian ethic. Um, and Paul, this is a weird connection I'm going to make here. Paul says, I wish I could wish myself a curse so that Jerusalem, that the Israelites would not have to suffer hell. And obviously God's not allowing that. God's not allowing one of his own chosen people to sacrifice their own salvation for others. That's, you could argue that it would be a utilitarian good thing that if like we could take some people who were truly saved give up their salvation to save people who wouldn't normally be saved. But that breaks God's glory model that he has put in place from the beginning. So there's, yeah, so I I do see it there. I always hesitate to, I'm the type of person that when I think about the trolley situation, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. Like if I genuinely was sat there and I was at a switch and it was real and I had to make a choice and someone had to die, I don't know if I'd just sit there and freeze. I I think most people would. And the ones who didn't, would I or would be no more culpable? Like the way I try and think on the other end of it is, how would you counsel someone who'd gone through that program, mm-hmm. who'd gone through that situation of, I didn't do anything. I could have saved those five at the cost of the one. I should have done, or I didn't know what happened. I just saw it and I pulled the lever, and now one person's dead because of me. Right. It's like. Then the other thing too is that you know the implications go far beyond just pulling the lever, but. It's the butterfly effect. The actions you take will have a direct effect on everything moving forward. Yeah. So by what if, acting... What if it's a suspected pedophile on the one track? What if it's a... Like, right. How do you know? How do you identify these people? Is there moral weight to that? Yeah. Me as a human, if it's a pedophile on one track, You're I'm, pulling the, I'm pulling the lever. Where's the lever? Like, if I find a pedophile, where's the lever? Like, yeah. let's run them over with trains. Uh, <laughs> you know, that might sound horrible, but hey, a little bit of OT, I'm fine with that, you know? It's, it's how there was, there is something to be said about capital, capital punishment. We don't have to tangent off that on this. Well, podcast. yeah, I think I don't, I'm not disagreeing with capital punishment. I said suspected pedophile. So oh, you don't that's even different. Know. Well, if they're not convicted, then they're not, then, until they're proven guilty, they're innocent. Yeah. Well, we'd like to think that in America, but basically. Yeah. So if you, if you just don't like the guy, like what if it's your family's on the one track and then your boss who just fired you Pulling is on the, the lever on the <laughs> boss. I mean, that's just straight up. Yeah. I mean, come on. And is that something we could, like, we all want to save our family. That's inherent to us. Do we want to, but is it morally culpable for... So, like, if it's your family on one track and a chief neurosurgeon who saves lives every day on the other track, yeah. like, who do you pull the lever on? Sure, your family, but, like, what if this person is curing cancer as we speak or something like yeah. that? What's the, like, what do you do there? And then how do you explain to your family when you get to heaven? Look, I'm sorry, but the doctor's curing cancer. What have you done today? Nothing. Like, yeah. you know, because you're going to see them in heaven if yeah. they're saved. <laughs> well, and heck, you can make the argument, well, I know these people are saved. They'll go to heaven. Like, ooh, ooh, dude, let's reinvent the trolley problem, you got, you okay? Got, you've got five elect people on the, five people that you... Five, 
perceivably elect individuals. Five who, people who, who walk in grace have shown evidence of God in their life and have made prof- uh, credible professions of faith. Right. So that's the three things. They're currently acting, living as a Christian. They're showing the fruits of, of the Spirit and they have professed Christ publicly and appear to be Christian yeah. as best as we can tell. And then saying. you've got like just some non... you got Richard Dawkins on the other Richard end. Dawkins. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd let the Christians bite it probably. I wouldn't feel as bad in that case. Like, yeah. I knew they were going to die, but I know they're going to heaven. So it's not, you know, like, I'll apologize when I get there. No. But when you think, like, that's the other thing, too. If if someone had to ask me, like, okay, if you're standing on the railroad track and a non-Christian standing on the railroad track, selfishly, I'm going to say, try to save me first. But I'm going to heaven. Like, it's not going to be that big of a deal for yeah. me. Oh, wow. That really blows my mind on the trolley question there. Yeah. So, so you heard it here, folks. <laughs> Wipe the Christians out. It's Gosh. okay because they're going to heaven anyway. It's yeah. not going to matter. So these questions are silly a little bit. They're, they're pretty out there scenarios, but I think they have very much real world implications. Right. Uh, I heard a variant on this that I think is a little unfair that it was actually a pro-choice person trying to challenge pro-life people on how pro-life they really are. Okay. So... There is an in vitro fertilization clinic. All right. So can you explain what that is for the lay people? Like myself. Very simply, uh, egg and sperm are taken out of mom and dad's bodies. Oh, it's this kind of podcast. (laughs) Uh, Birds and bees happen. So within a laboratory, a zygote, a combination of egg and um, and sperm is created. It's like a middle school word, isn't it? Zygote. They yeah. talk about that in middle school. That's middle school biology. Oh, that God. so that is created and left in a petri dish to basically to replicate a little bit and start the beginning processes of becoming a baby. Mrs. Kearns is going to be so happy that I recognize that word. <laughs> okay, I'm sure she's a listener. Uh, so then, the after the baby begins to grow a little bit, it is then implanted into the mother's womb. Okay, so it's a test tube. Like on Friends, when Phoebe was the surrogate mother for her brother. Yeah, so surrogate mothers can be form of in vitro fertilization. Yeah, and they had the petri dish kids, and they put five of them in because they weren't sure how many were going to make it. Yeah, so you're in an IVF clinic, all right, and it's on fire, all right. Mm -hmm. So you are evacuating this clinic. As you evacuate the clinic, you come across a room Mm -hmm. that has a five-year-old toddler in it. Okay, and a cylinder a metal cylinder that is labeled like jurassic park style where it's like the yeah. you pull it out yeah. and there's like all the, the yeah. eggs in it it's a large thing and it says ten thousand human embryos it's labeled human embryos which is an absurd situation to begin with but who you can only carry one of them out you are not physically strong enough to get both of them out safely okay and, and quickly enough okay who do you take the five-year-old because, Why? because it's already living Mm-hmm. I think that's my human gut reaction is when you see a five-year-old in a burning building and you see a cylinder, you grab the five-year-old. Like, yeah. I think it's like, I, it's just my, my natural gut human reaction is you just grab the five-year-old. Yes. And I, I'm thinking I'm going to, I'm going to save the toddler as well. Right. But does that mean we don't, we're not actually pro-life? Because, because those are human embryos, uh-huh. which I would argue by definition are humans. That we have now left behind in a fire. I just, I have a tough time conceptually understanding them as humans, which may be due to my limited mortal understanding of, of when a human is a human. Yeah. I'm I'm pro-life in every way, shape, and form. I don't like abortions. I think they're bad. I think they're murder. Uh, but at the same time, I can't look at a cylinder of human embryos next to a five-year-old 
and think, well, I'm saving 10,000 people. Yeah. I, to me, it's a, it's a strange concept because if those 10,000 people were let out of that cylinder and out of their protection, they would essentially die on their own. Yeah. And I'm almost thinking about a mass, cas- mass casualty trauma situation. These 10,000 things would be a lot harder to save and keep alive right now yeah. than a five-year-old. It, it does very much seem like an unfair... Yeah. It's, 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 a silly, it's a silly situation. And I think any, like you said, na- any natural human st- instinct, like we can se- I can conceptually agree that human embryos are in fact humans, and we'll get into that in a moment, but it's undeniable that the toddler's a human and you look at it and it looks like a human. And and it, it sounds like, like a human. It, sounds it makes you mad like a toddler. And yeah, it's yeah, screaming you, for help and it's crying. You grab the toddler. You grab the toddler. Yeah. But it's still a challenging ethical scenario in which you have the opportunity to potentially save more lives, but there's also what's obviously recognizable in front of you. And, and the other thing too, and I know this shouldn't weigh into it, but those 10,000 embryos will never feel it. Those 10,000 embryos will not be experiencing the trauma. There's a relatable human level where I know if you set me on fire, I'd be aware of it versus realistically. (laughs) And I hate to to trivialize it like that, but realistically, if someone had to go, I'd much rather die in a molecular, cellular level than I would on in the full grown version I am now where I can feel and experience it. So I want to get a little bit into this. Oh, this is getting scary. (laughs) Go ahead. What makes a human a human? All right. Taxes. <laughs> well, then the toddler's not a human. True. He's a tax credit rather than paying taxes. So. But yeah, let's let's address this a little bit. All okay. Right? So I would argue that once sperm and egg meet, it's a human. All right. <sighs> and we can get into the nature of the soul. We can get into it. But I'll go pure biology on mm-hmm. you for a moment. Okay. All right? Humans are mammals. All mammals have developmental stages. All right. There is the embryonic stage of development, there is the fetal stage of development, there is the infant, there is the neonatal, there is the toddler, there is the adolescent, there is the adult, mm-hmm. and there is a couple ones in between there. Any point you slice it on that scale of development, it still bears the title of human adult, human embryo, human toddler, human fetus. Any point before the embryo stage, it's not human, it's cell, it's egg cell within mm-hmm. the mother it doesn't have a unique set of dna it's a actually it's a half set of chromosomes inside a gamete so, so what's that 11 chromosomes in a gamete or something like that well no it's you have 20 you have 23 pairs of 22 dang it i'm thinking of trisomy 21 uh you have 23 pairs pairs of chromosomes in gamete cells you don't have pairs you just have individual chromosomes that's when sperm and egg meet and they each give half their chromosomes to the, the zygote okay all right so i'm a lay person and i know nothing about dna the only thing i know about dna was my jurassic park education where mr <laughs> dna told me about how you can take a frog's dna and, and put it into a dinosaur to make a yeah. dinosaur that's all i know about dna i've been trying to make dinosaurs ever since it's not been productive <laughs> um that being said i just i have a tough time thinking about i think more so i have a tough time thinking about the implications of human embryos as human yeah now if you ask me in my pro-life yes and i'll give you my my traditional scenario of hypocrisy in america if a woman gets into a car and she drives to an abortion clinic she can pay 700 dollars and get an abortion Mm -hmm. if on her way to the abortion clinic a drunk driver slams into the driver's side door and the baby dies during that process he can be charged with manslaughter that legally still happens to this day people still get charged with manslaughter for killing the embryo Mm -hmm. or the fetus when the woman could have driven to an 
abortion clinic on another day and legally paid someone 800 bucks to kill it. Yeah. So no matter what, our legal system right now isn't in a non-hypocritical situation. Yeah. We've, we've got a legal hypocrisy taking place. I'm in favor of if you still want him to get manslaughter, abortion is illegal. Well, yeah. That's the end. But you and I could both agree on that. But then we have to go back to what if a child or an, what if a pregnancy fails after a week, after six days, and it's a mm-hmm. set of cells? Did a human just die? Did it have a soul? Will it be in heaven? I'm going to share something that's probably going to make you a little more upset. And this is where the podcast gets darker. It is estimated that up to one-third of all pregnancies end in miscarriage. That's horrible. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's, that's rough. Yeah. That so, And most of those are due to, like, horrible genetic problems. And, like, that basically the baby would have never lived outside of the womb. It wouldn't have. Okay. It, it died because it wasn't viable. That's um, still weird to hear horrible. it talked about that yeah. way. Yeah. It's, I'm not attacking you. It's just more of like, oh, that's just, it's sad. No, it's a horrible reality. Um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Because I genuinely, all of those are humans. And I think God cares. And all of those were bear, were image bearers of God. And that is how sick and twisted the fall has cre- has turned humanity so into. So are they all elect? Or... Don't don't go down this road. This is the Because one. I can go full Jason Heim about this, all right? We can have that big spoon talk. Now, this was the one topic I did not want to hit on this podcast. So, St. James and I went to a church somewhere in the world. And at that church somewhere in the world, there was a, a debate about, do all babies go to heaven? Am I advising you have this debate at church? No. Do I think your pastoral staff should have this debate publicly? No. Do I no. think that undermines your leadership team? Yes. Do I think that just sets people apart? Yes. But this is our podcast, and this is the type of stuff we talk about. And literally, I think the essence of like chasing wind couldn't be more defined by the question, do all babies go to heaven? But it's one of those truly dark, deep, mm-hmm. depressing questions that you you genu- you have to grapple with. Yeah. Grapple with if you believe there's a heaven, and you believe people go there, and, and you, you believe, believe all human beings are are conceived in iniquity and guilty. Original uh, and sin, that, that and Adam boom, 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 and you inherit that. And, and you start breaking all that down and you think to yourself, the only way to be redeemed from that is faith in Jesus Christ. And then you think about, well, that faith was retroactively applied to all the people prior to the cross. Yeah. And you start to break all that all down. Right, so let's... And yes, if you're, if, you're, right. if you're following the rabbit trail and you've taken Alice's pill and you're still here with us listening to this and you haven't rage quit throwing your phone against the wall and had to take it to the Verizon store to get it fixed, uh, and you're still with us, let's get into it just a touch. All right, so... Short answer, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. I think there are a lot of passages in the Bible that point to the fact that God has deep compassion for children, especially those who are not of age. Mm-hmm. Or there's a passage in Jonah where God, Jonah basically is complaining that God didn't actually kill the Ninevites. And, jo- and God is blasting Jonah for his lack of mercy. He's like, don't you understand that there are X amount of children in this, in this town that don't even know their right hand from their left? Like, so they're very young. So there's evidence. I would, I would not go so far as to argue for an age of accountability. Because um, you hear that uh, coming from a Baptist background, the age of accountability is basically a doctrine. Yeah. I don't think we have biblical support for that, but there is much evidence that God very deeply cares for children and for those who are underage. So let's or, then talk about uh, my cousin Nelson, who is Down syndrome to the yeah. fullest degree, and 
will never be able to live a sustained life on his own mm-hmm. and has the mental acuity of that of a small child and he's 40. Yeah. So I'm going to put it very simply. We, you and I are believers in total depravity that without God acting within our lives, we cannot ever believe in the gospel. The Holy Spirit must make us alive. So to make that very clear, you and I both believe that it was an act of the Holy Spirit that woke us up to the truth of the gospel, not hearing the gospel that woke us up to the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's a good way of pointing it. So I would argue very simply that it is no less miraculous for God to give saving faith to a human embryo, to a man, to a 40-year-old man with the mental capacity of a three-year-old, than it is for, than it is miraculous for God to apply saving faith to us. It so, is well within his capability and well within his character to do so. And it wouldn't change the model of salvation that we view. It wouldn't change the way Weird. we see it as us being unworthy and purely yeah. being a free gift. It's an act of grace. It's an act of grace and mercy laid out to mm-hmm. us. And we are no more, no more or less deserving yeah. than the unborn child or the yeah. 40-year-old or yeah. the... What gets it, the, the weird part of it is what does faith look like in a person that's not really capable of expressing it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because by, we are saved by grace through faith, but faith is not the earner of grace. It is the result of it. So, but there's the dark side of the coin that goes, depravity sees no difference between the unborn child or the two-year-old child or the 20-year-old man. Yeah. This That's the scary part of that coin is God can also, just as justly, and just as graciously and just as perfectly as he is, yeah. decide who not to elect. And it wouldn't matter if they were 75 years old or 7.5 days old. It makes no practical difference from a salvation standpoint. Yeah. And, and those are thoughts that keep me awake at night sometimes. It is a very hard pill to swallow, but I think it's one well worth wrestling with. And you have to ask yourself, what is the character of God? And what, who is this God that I worship? Because he's worthy of it. And he would but be... But what does it say to myself? What does it say about me that I'm not willing to embrace certain aspects of his character? He would be no less desiring of worship if no one was elect. Like yeah. they're, they're No less worthy of worship. Less worthy of yeah. worship, I should say. That, forgive the term. It was inappropriate. Yeah, no, There's yeah. no less... He's no less worthy of worship if none of us were elect. Yeah. He so, would still be the God of the universe that created everything that is purely just, that is, all of his attributes would still apply. In his triune nature with him, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it, would, it, it all still applies. So none of us need it. He decided to do it. No, we need it. Well, He, of, he did not need us. Sorry, he did not need us. Yeah. Um, he deci- Sorry, he didn't need it. He decided to do it. And it was all done essentially... And I, I, I'm. We have to be careful with these big. This is the reason why everything statements. But essentially, it was his plan for the administration of time to demonstrate his glory throughout all things that are known ever. Time didn't need to be created. He decided to do it. There's an element to yeah. that even. So he can do what he wants from that perspective. So it's a matter of we can't. We can never get mad at him, which I think is an early cage stage effect that I went through a lot, being mad of. Mm-hmm. Being mad at the idea that certain people never had a chance, so so to speak, quote unquote. But now we're just playing that out with the babies. Now it's literally just become a well. Do they have a chance? Well, what is he going to do? What does a chance look like? What does a chance look like? Right. It's and I think that's old leftover thought. Is well, they never had a chance. Well, then it didn't matter if they lived a hundred years. If they're not elect, they're not elect. When they die, doesn't make sense. It's just for me as a human, I think of the idea of babies passing as extremely sad depressing dark and just not something i conceptually am built to be able to handle yeah and i wouldn't even say that 
I think anger at God is actually a very acceptable thing. Um, Habakkuk and the Psalms are full of questions hurled at God, and I would argue much more boldly than most American Christians are willing to do. Um, and I think, especially with the Psalms, because the Psalms are the worship book of ancient Israel that are utilized in worship. You could say that Habakkuk's just describing something that maybe we're not necessarily supposed to be doing, but the Psalms are saying that you should read and worship God through the Psalms. So to argue that That's questioning God... the only God, way to worship God is through the recitation of Psalms. Don't go that way. We're not going exclusive <laughs> psalmology. Um, Different podcast. <laughs> but to utilize the Psalms of worship, part of that worship is bringing your questions, your anxieties, your frustrations with God, and wrestling with your sin nature. And I think the honesty of, God, I'm really angry. I don't like this about you. Mm-hmm. And... The understanding also that the problem is not with God. But why don't we change gears here a little bit from... Man, to get off the dark, do babies go to heaven subject? You did this to me. You did this to me. Uh, look, it wasn't even my intent. I didn't even think I was going to go there. We're having a conversation. We're talking about it. I know. We're talking about embryos. <laughs> are they alive? My thought immediately goes to how many of them 10,000 are going to heaven and are they obligated? Are they required? Does he do that? Uh, that's, that's, we've, we've covered it. Uh, I'm just saying. It's, it's the loop I get stuck in. All right. So... Let's talk about lying. We've talked about murder. Let's talk about lying. You're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Joseph, you it is the 1940s. You are living in Germany. You have graciously welcomed your Jewish neighbors into your home and you're hiding them from the Nazis. Well, I have a soft spot for them. I think my fa- like my Yeah, you part you are Jewish. Pa- yeah, I'm partly <laughs> Jewish. So it's like I don't look Jewish because that's a very stereotypical statement, but you know, yeah. I, I'm not, I do not come from a purely Jewish family. So yeah. I'm, I'm Polish and there's other mixes. It's so the Nazis have arrived at your door. Mm-hmm. They ask you, sir, do you have any Jews in your home? We'd like to take them to the concentration camp. I'd say no, because they're Nazis and I'd <laughs> say no. And I'd probably be working with resistance to try to kill a few of them, you know, mm-hmm. for giggles. I mean, it was just, <laughs> You know, a couple gray shirts get blown up. I don't feel that bad. Yeah. Um, I'd say no. And I I think what you're going to get at is, is that a sin? Yeah. Because that sounds a little bit like a lie. It's a lot like a lie. I mean, it's a lie. And that's the thing. It's a lie. It's, yeah. You're not telling the truth. Are you bearing false witness? I am. I'm telling mm-hmm. them something that's not true. Is it a lie? Okay. Let's go more simply. Even you'd like to plan a surprise party for your wife. That's a terrible idea, boys. Don't do it. Anyway, keep going. Go ahead. (laughs) So Friday night's coming. Your wife asks, where are we going? I say, nowhere. (laughs) My wife, I mean, I lie to my wife constantly. Oh, gosh. There's just little, like, there's little things like that. You know, what are you doing? I don't know. Even that in itself is a lie. I know what I'm doing. And she's got a book that she keeps under her pillow and she records my lies and she brings them up later at night when we're trying to go to bed. Just to verify, just to keep us awake a little bit longer. Um, Yeah, we really have to start. So... When you tell their kids there's a Santa Claus. Oh, I hate that. Is that a lie? Yes. You're lying to them. You're giving them false witness and you're putting them in a fake world so you can insulate them. Well, so what what spurred this portion of the content, there's an article that came out from the Gospel Coalition that actually makes the argument that there's a difference between falsehood and lies. Yeah, this is is a little thing that a lie is to bear falsehood when someone has the right to the truth. And there are certain... the author asserts that there are certain situations that a person can revoke their right to the truth. He would argue this from Rahab lying to the spot to conceal the two spies. I think it was Joshua and Caleb. 
and also the Egyptian midwives that were commanded to murder the babies, and then they did not murder the babies and to kind of save their own skin, and that so that they could continue saving babies, they lied and said, oh, we just, the, baby, the Jewish women are just having babies too fast. By the time we get there, the baby's already out and we can't kill them. Mm-hmm. So there's lying, and how do we view those stories? Were they simply describing the situation of ethically ambiguous people? in a very difficult scenario and doesn't actually, we shouldn't take them as a prescription for our, if we're in a difficult scenario, it's okay to lie our way out. Because then what becomes the difficult scenario? Yeah. Where would the line be? It's really clear. I think when we do the Nazi situation to Mm -hmm. know who the bad guys are. Yeah. But what do you do when you're not looking at Nazis? What do you do if it's just your regular government? Or what mm. do you do if it's just a group of friends? And you, Or what do you do when if it's something you need to hide from your wife? When you're a missionary, you're going overseas, going into China and they ask you, do you have any Bibles in your luggage? And you say, no. I feel like we've had that conversation before. Yeah, yeah we have. <laughs> and you say, no. We were advised by someone at one point, it's okay to lie in that situation because you're lying for Jesus. It's okay to murder in that situation because you're murdering for Jesus. Well, uh, is it interchangeable like that? I mean, is that how that works? If well, you're consider doing for, I mean, I think it's very, there's something very deeply disconcerting to me that I think I'd be more willing to kill than to lie because there are obvious situations in which it's, or to tell a falsehood, let's, let's, let's not blur the lines here mm-hmm. because there are obvious situations which self-defense or saving someone else's life or defense of another human life. Right. So if the Nazis come at my door with a gun, with with a gun, and say, "Are there any?" Or even, well, all Nazis basically have guns. There's a threat. There's an inherent threat of violence of a Nazi showing up at your door saying, "Do you have any Jews in here?" Right. So and you've got a shotgun. Yeah. So totally acceptable. Are we actually going to say that it's more acceptable that I blow the Nazi away with a shotgun than simply to say, "No, there aren't any Jews here." But see, here's the thing: blowing the Nazi away with a shotgun is not murder. You yeah. can't murder someone so who's it, trying to kill you. Yes. So then we have a situation in which killing is not murder. Yes. We have a situation in which telling a falsehood is not a lie. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, that one's a big one. Okay. So let's make this very clear. We are not gun-toting nut jobs that simply talk about ways to try to kill people. I want to put that because <laughs> this is going to be on the internet. What we are saying is there's a reason why to kill and to murder are legally different terms in the United States in, in and law. in the Bible and in the Bible right we have to clearly state that when you're walking down the street if someone points a gun at your head they are trying to and saying give me your money they are willing to murder you for cash if you pull a gun out and shoot them you are killing them in self-defense yeah those terms are not interchangeable yeah. they are very much not interchangeable whatsoever yes. what we are now asking is does lying work the same way and can you tell a falsehood without lying yeah and i'm gonna so if we're gonna go down this road we're talking about the ten commandments here mm-hmm. so the one thing that always comes up there's a terrible translation of the same i think it's kjv that it com- will translate the, the commandment to not murder simply do not kill mm-hmm. we all know that's a bad translation but the classic translation of the commandment that we always say do not lie is actually do not bear false witness Bearing witness implies certain things that lying does not. Wearing witness, like, inherent to the language is this idea of being in the court of law. So you're in a situation where you're expected to tell the truth. You're in a situation where you are required to tell the truth because the person has a right to the truth. Okay. So, so the government is coming down and saying, did you go through the red light? Mm-hmm. And a judge is asking you if you drove through the red light. 
If you did in fact do it and you go to the court and say, no, I did not, you have bore false witness before a judge and jury. Yeah. If your wife asks you, are you throwing a surprise party for me? And you say, no, are you bearing false witness? Yeah. I don't know. I don't, if I don't the Chinese know. government says, do you have any Christian Bibles in your bag? Have they revoked their right to the truth because they're they are enacting authority that is ungodly? So, but then, in, I mean, the American government constantly has yeah, an authority that's ungodly. Do you have the right to lie there? Or to, what do you say? Did Jesus lie when Pilate asked him, are you the, what was it? He asked him, are you the Christ or something? Are you the Messiah, was yeah. it, I think? And Jesus just kind of gave an evasive answer. He didn't give an evasive answer. Uh, he didn't say no. He said, it is as you say. Jesus Jesus affirmed it. All right, so he um, was straight up about it. Yeah. There are other situations where Jesus kind of gave a more dismissive, cryptic answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so the classic... Then again, he's Jesus. Who's going to hold Jesus accountable? Jesus, well, tell me the truth. I can say whatever I want. I am the truth. I am the, <laughs> I am the truth. I am the truth. What do you want? Tell, Go tell away. You, tell, you the tr- tell me the truth. I am the truth. I am the truth. <laughs> I'm the way, the truth, and the life, buddy. What do yeah. you got going on? You're up a tree. Yeah. <laughs> he did talk to dudes up trees. Yes, that was that, a thing. That happened. Oh, man. Anyway, tangent casting back into this situation. So how do you deal with the fact that... Well, the classic answer that happens with the Nazis ones is, oh, are there any Jews here? Oh, they're under the table. And then the Nazis come in and they peek under the table and they're not there. Because they're not just under the table, they're also under the floorboards, underneath the table. You told the truth, technically, but you were deceptive. Can you deceive? Is deception is, is any okay. form of deception not lying? Well, see, this goes back to my one of the things I have, and you've probably heard me say this before. I think the CIA and all forms of spies and James Bond intelligence agencies, I just think they're horribly immoral people. Because the essence of their job is lying and cheating and stealing. Like, that is... Literally, the job description is, can you lie and cheat your way into a foreign country and steal their information for us? Mm-hmm. How is that not sinful? Like, how is that in any way? And yet, we see 12 spies sent into the land of Canaan. But that, So that's okay? Or is that permissive? Like, I, is it pres- Yeah, is it prescriptive uh, or is it descriptive? And, and you, that's where it's like, okay, oh, <laughs> you just, your head blows up and you're like, is that all right? Because to me, honestly, I think that there's not... When is it acceptable to bear false witness and that not be a sin? Is well, the character I, well, in I would say if you all, it, we're told, do not ever bear false witness. But there are, are there situ- the question is, is there are there situations in which deceiving or not speaking the truth or speaking a falsehood does not qualify as bearing false witness? So are there times where individuals have willingly on their own made themselves not privileged to receiving the truth? Yeah. So it's always okay to plead the fifth. You can always just not answer. Yeah. So then the question becomes, is it ever okay to answer in a way that intentionally deceives or misleads an individual? Yeah. If your mom's hiding under the bed and the Nazis break down the door and say, where's your mom? We all know what we're going to say at home, somewhere else. Yeah. We're all going to, no one's going to, I mean, unless you really no don't like your mom. All right. Unless you don't like your mom. I mean, yeah. you got to talk to a therapist or whatever, but you know, I'm, most people are not going to let the Nazis find their mom yeah but is that morally okay humanly i'm going to do it i really think it is and then, i'm leaning more and more towards it as, as we, we talk, talk about, about it. it yeah it's like i how can the, how can the character of god say that that's wrong i mean <laughs> we just got heavy into the character i think i think there are situations when people surrender their right to the truth 
Um, when you become a criminal. Yeah. Hey. So if the, someone says, give me all your money. And you only give them some of your money. Yeah, and they say, and they say, okay, this is all my money. Or you, and they say, give me all your money, and then when I'm done, I'm gonna rape your wife. All right, and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna surrender. I'm gonna go along with it. Please don't kill me. Then Surprise! Get out and pop them. Exactly. Surprise! <laughs> I've got a gun, and you're dead now. Like, do you, can, is it okay to start to deceive the person to gain a ta- to gain advantage in order to save your to life? To gain the, the tactical advantage. Yeah. Right. So there is there a time? This is a very now we're really going down the rabbit hole. Is there a time in which an individual can carry out an action or con- or wander down a course of action? That makes them no longer qualified to receive the truth. Yeah. So if the government comes to me and say, did you pay your taxes? And I lie to them. I'm lying to the government. Yeah. But if the government says, "Here's a, you're going to now pay a $100 tax for being a Christian. And asks if I paid that. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? I mean. I mean, with that situation, I think you're ha- you have to deny the faith. In order to avoid the tax. Yeah, I guess. All right. I think well, that one's a little. Okay, but so then let's, we'll, we'll go back to the criminal there. Um, you know, if someone says, you know, tell me the password, tell me the combination to the safe. Yeah. And you just lie and say you and don't And there's know. a combination that automatically shuts down the safe. Right. Then do you, Surprise! Give, them that, do you give them that safe? And <laughs> yeah. then suddenly they hear, they hear the bars go down, boom, 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 like yeah. that. Because those things do exist. Yeah, there exactly. are emergency stuff like that. Um, then is that okay? I think I know what we all would do. And does our conscience speak to us and say, no, it's okay to do that in that situation? Because yeah. here's what I see. It, yeah. Is our conscience right? Because we have, we still bear some level of the image of God. Right. So are those, do we have the responsibility in that case? So then, all right, then let's go a step further. Uh, are spies a biblically acceptable thing? Oh, gosh. Well, but think about what yeah, they do. There's, now, we're not saying you sleep, I th- you I sleep with you, everybody. We're not saying that. I think that. modern spies in almost all forms, I could never advise a Christian to become. Right. The fact of the matter is it puts you into so many morally compromising scenarios that I could never support it. It's like being a security guard at a strip club. Like, at the end of the day, maybe what you're doing is noble. Maybe what you're doing isn't inherently sinful, but you're just in a bad place. Yeah, it's um, not something I could advise, but... Let's say two Western nations for some reason went to war and, you know, you could reasonably wander over to let's you, the UK and America for some mm-hmm. reason. We go to war and the country asks you to go be a spy over in the UK. Is, is that wrong? Is it wrong to take on another identity and be a spy morally? Yeah. I don't think that act in and of itself is inherently immoral. But I think all of the actions that modern espionage would require you to take to be word successful would be would necessarily take you into a moral so i think one of the big questions besides will you throw so we've asked will you throw the switch Mm -hmm. we've asked do all babies go to heaven and now we've asked is it acceptable to change our point of view on what lying is Mm mm-hmm and this this episode has probably bothered me more than any other. Yeah, I've I'm, I'm walking away deeply unsettled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just if if you're feeling insecure at the end of this podcast, note that we are too. So there's a lot going on here because I, I, you got to understand. I grew up very Northern Baptist. Very you know, there's certain things you don't do and you don't lie, and that's one of them. And it's always been a traditional. Uh, that's just what you don't do. Um, a lie is a lie is a lie is what I've always been raised to think. But now as I sit here as an adult and sit through it and go. There are sometimes that we don't. There are sometimes that we deceive, and there's yeah. sometimes that we say things that are contrary to the truth. I think we can. Let's try and say what we can. 
do with some clarity. Christians are people who should be characterized as being truthful. Christians are people who should be characterized as being peaceful and loving and gentle and always wanting to choose life and to choose truth. But there are maybe situations where there are times that you don't do that. We know there are situations where you don't choose life for another person. You choose, you prioritize one person's life over another. ISIS. You, if, yeah. if you're with, you're get taking hostage by ISIS and you've got a grenade, just go for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Just pull the pin, chuck it. Maybe we can go back to our medical podcast about whether <laughs> or not you're allowed to blow yourself up in that situation. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then... Did that one air already? We didn't talk about blowing ourselves up at any point. So, no, the suicide, uh, the, the right to suicide. We never talked about the right to suicide. No, the one where it's, do, if, if I know I'm going to die and I know that it's going to be medically complicated for me to go through that process. We have, we've had this conversation outside of the podcast. Of Sorry, folks. We might have to edit that one out. <laughs> uh, we won't edit it out. If that sounds like something that interests you, let us know. But... I think more than anything else... This is else, what we do when we get together. Yeah, this is the kind of... So, if you haven't figured it out, there's a lot... This is just a slightly more structured version of Joe and I's normal And not even really... That. Not really that structured. We just pre-think of what else is in this line of thinking. So, I think the overall thought here is we really just wanted to say there are ethical situations that are really, really hard. And even some of them are more normal life than you might think. Uh, we kind of covered the abortion. I, there's more things we could talk about with abortion as well, but maybe it's not the not the time or place because we're getting pretty long here. But there's questions of, okay, your homosexual friend is getting married, but you don't want to affirm homosexual marriage, but you also don't want to lose the friend because you wanna, you're hoping to witness to them and you don't want to lo- lose the relationship kind of thing. What do you do? There are... There are many much more realistic real-world scenarios that are difficult. Someone comes to you with a sin in the church, but they're also in a position of leadership. Does this sin need to be made public? How do you deal with it? Um, Your sister decides to have a child outside of wedlock with someone that she probably shouldn't be with or should be with. You're not really that exactly sure. And then they decide the baby's going to be Catholic, although you're not exactly sure. So they decide to have a christening for that baby. And they invite you to the christening, even though you know you don't support the idea of a Catholic christening for the baby. And you know your sister doesn't even really, but it's going to happen anyway. That one was like two weeks ago for me. And it's, it's a situation of... Do you support your sister or are you affirming the event? And I think there's a lot of times where we get invited to a Jewish bar mitzvah or Mm -hmm. this out of the other where it's a little more like, okay, we're just going to enjoy it. But then the the gay wedding thing, I've been invited to a gay wedding. I was invited to be in a gay wedding. I was legitimately asked at one point to be like the one of the bridal party in a gay wedding. Uh, that one is like, uh, okay, you know I'm a Protestant, right? Yeah. You understand the reason for my objection here. But there there are situations that we're going to face. And if we don't have these conversations now, we're going to mm-hmm. get blindsided by our... Yeah. You, need to be able, you need to develop some type of more complex ethical framework. Mm-hmm. Um, because as much as we want to believe there's so much of cut and dry... Um, yes or no situations in life. It really, really doesn't come down to it. The fact that we can look at stories in the Bible and be able to say, I have no idea whether or not this person was sinning in this situation is probably a good evidence of the fact that you're going to be in that situation too. Uh. So if there's one thing we can say after listening to today's podcast, it's go ahead and pull the lever as long as the guy you're pulling it towards is elect. (laughs) 
And it's, I think if there's one thing we can say about this podcast, it's morality is hard. <laughs> Anyone who's let alone being moral, but actually just knowing how to be moral. Anyone who subscribes to the idea that they're an ethics teacher, professor, or instructor, these must be people that just spend all day with the most twisted thoughts and scenarios they have to go through. I teach ethics with a partner at for the government of yeah. all people, um, and believe me. It is a difficult proposition because not only do you have to be a person of the most utmost ethical integrity, you have to grapple with these situations and come out with an answer of enough confidence to be able to look someone else in the face and tell them what you think the ethical decision is in that situation. Well, it yeah. is it is difficult to do. Yeah, and then there's this question like we got we very briefly hinted at it. What do you do in research scenarios when the research study has the potential to cause a little bit of harm to the subjects, but also can do a lot of good for everyone else what do you do when you're not sure about the definition of human life and you're not sure if this drug might if this birth control method primarily stops the zygote from forming but also makes zygotes a little bit more difficult to Im implant after uh, they've formed i don't There's, like that one <laughs> yeah i don't like any of these i'm glad i'm not married did you hear that the senate and the house right now just passed a bill allowing experimental drugs for patients that are in higher risk scenarios that's not surprising at so all. they're, they're going to be shortcutting the fda process and basically if you're Probably going to die anyway. They're going to let you try. Some if of you're willing to it. do it yourself, if you're willing it's to a do level it, yeah. of Personal liberty, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm totally fine with that. Uh, but what if those processes, in, in, you know? In, okay, anyway, we're, we're we're jumping down. But uh, what we're saying, all this has come down to is open your mind to the complexity of ethics and the fact that even silly hypothetical questions like the trolley problem can launch into very much real world situations. Mm -hmm. So one thing we could advise in a practical sense is the more you're in the word and the more you're in prayer, the more you're in tune with trying to understand at least or grapple with mm -hmm. the character of God and the nature of God and what you think and what you feel and what you feel led by the Holy Spirit are the most appropriate actions for one to take. So don't ever stop praying don't ever stop reading the word don't ever stop trying to be don't in stop communion. wrestling with it don't ever stop wrestling with it and don't be afraid to sit down and ask yourself or ask a friend or actually that's probably really good advice yeah. have these conversations with someone else in yeah. the faith and don't be afraid Your to hash pastor, it out especially if it's if it's a situation you're if that's actually what they're getting paid to do yeah yeah like, we, it's one thing to have these hypothetical questions but when you're in the in the thick of a situation like i don't know what to do yeah. the person to go to in this situation is your pastor right that's their not only <laughs> is it their spiritually appointed job but that's what you put money in the plate for remember i have <laughs> to remind people no, be, no because people always ask people always go oh should i talk to the pastor what are you dropping cash in the plate for <laughs> like no seriously you're for the kingdom joseph i understand that but they're collecting a wage i I get it yeah they're career-minded individuals just like everybody else they're just their career is just divinely appointed in certain well we'd like to think in, in most cases so you know hey they're getting paid yeah. might as well talk to them talk to your pastors talk to your friends i'm sure like, think about ethics I'm sure we just lost all pastoral listeners at this point they're just like that is that's not the point of putting it on the plate yeah that's not at all that we should have a i'd do a 10 minute podcast on offerings <laughs> just on this oh gosh so if you'd like to become a patreon for like Jason <laughs> <laughs> all right but more than anything else uh this i think more than and the podcast has potential to generate some really good discussion. Hopefully, so yes. I want to plug very briefly that we have 
built-in forms of ways of getting in touch with us. So we Facebook have a, page. We have a Facebook page where you can message us. It's like chasing wind at facebook.com slash like chasing wind. That's correct. We have a Gmail account set up that is like chasing wind 114 at gmail.com. That is correct. And we also have a website like chasing wind.com that has a contact us form. So that is correct. any form of these, if you have a comment, thought, questions, another scenario you want to, Joe and I to suffer through, um, please let engage. Us, let us know. Let us engage. Share with us with a friend. All these things. So thanks for joining us for this episode of Like Chasing Wind. We hope it made you think because it definitely made us think. <laughs> but we hope that you can find more than anything else. We really, truly believe you can find your rest in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace.